This is the eighth installment of our special series, The Facebook Files, which is based on a vast array of internal Facebook documents. If you haven't listened to the previous episodes, they're already in your feed. After the 2020 election, President Donald Trump and his supporters claimed there was widespread voter fraud. They demanded recounts across the country. They called their efforts Stop the Steal, and it started to spread rapidly on Facebook. Stop the Steal was just like the fastest growing stuff on the platform. All the Stop the Steal groups, like they dwarfed everything in the period that they were growing in. They were able to use the tools that Facebook had given them. Like people were inviting thousands of other people per day into Stop the Steal groups. There's no evidence the election was fraudulent. And Facebook saw the Stop the Steal movement as harmful and wanted to prevent it from spreading. So the company used tools that it specifically developed for major crises called break glass measures, which is something we talked about in episode four of this series. Those measures slowed down the entire platform and made it harder for content, any content, to spread quickly across Facebook. Just slow the whole thing down. I don't mean like slowing down the platform in the sense of like everyone's internet connection gets worse. I mean like take away a bit of viral boost. But according to the documents, Facebook didn't want to permanently slow down the entire platform. They were worried it would hurt its growth and usage. So a few weeks later, the company let off the brakes and let things speed back up again. And then... On January 6, Trump supporters stormed the Capitol. And for Facebook, it marked a turning point. So Facebook was lurching from, like, crisis to crisis, and in a way that I think people in the company, everyone understood, wasn't tenable. And obviously one option was to just slow the whole thing down again and take away, you know, a bit of viral boost for a lot of things, good and bad. They didn't want to do that. Rather than slow down the entire platform, the company began to develop a new strategy— go after specific groups and movements, and only disrupt their ability to spread. Facebook's first target was a far-right movement called the Patriot Party. So what they did is, with the Patriot Party, they just took kind of a more aggressive approach. They went with something that's much more targeted. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Ryan Knudsen. This is The Facebook Files, Part 8. Coming up on the show, Facebook's strike against the Patriot Party and the new way the company is combating groups it deems harmful. If only life had a remote control, you could pause or rewind. Well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome, but prediabetes does. Take the one-minute risk test today at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners. What is the Patriot Party? Oh, man, it's kind of hard to say. That's our colleague Jeff Horwitz, who's been reviewing the internal Facebook documents. The Patriot Party is, depending on how you think about it, was either a proposal for an upstart political party that would be basically Trump absolutists who would be splintering the Republican Party, 
And that was an idea that kind of started taking off in December, January of 2021. That's one version of what the Patriot Party is. The other version of it is it was just a hashtag. And it was a hashtag that the Stop the Steal people, the ones who'd been sort of fomenting the viral misinformation, they started sort of using that as kind of a rallying cry. You know, Facebook basically saw this happening. They could see in their systems, right, you had a core group of people, some of whom had ties to white nationalists who had been backing Stop the Steal. And guess what? They were all now getting pretty excited about the Patriot Party. Internal documents show that researchers were struggling over what to do with groups like the Patriot Party, which didn't explicitly break Facebook's rules. But collectively, the group's behavior on Facebook was, as one employee put it, inherently harmful and violated the spirit of our policy. There's nothing about talking about an upstart political party that violates Facebook's rules. In fact, like that's like deeply protected political speech, right? At the same time, Facebook kind of knew that the people behind this stuff had been abusing its systems and were eminently capable of abusing them again. So basically, at this time, when Facebook was already freaking out, they just squashed it. So Facebook actually intervened here oh, yeah. yes, to stop absolutely. the spread, the viral spread of information and discussion about this group, the Patriot Party. Basically, they just made sure that conversations about the Patriot Party weren't going to go anywhere. The company's previous strategy against harmful groups, like Stop the Steal, was to slow down the entire platform and make it difficult for all viral content to spread by doing things like limiting the number of times posts could be reshared and putting a cap on invitations to groups. But with the Patriot Party, Facebook decided to do something similar, only much more narrow. One document detailed the strategy. We need a range of full-spectrum interventions, from hard actions to soft actions, in order to better handle the growth of organic harmful movements. It continued. In order to slow the growth of movements, we should learn from our break-the-glass measures and apply a range of counter-interventions, friction, soft actions, and hard actions, in order to promote a healthier community beyond targeting the worst of the violators. So what does that mean? So what that means is that what they are going to need to do is not just simply remove, you know, the ringleaders of nasty groups, but they're going to need to study everything about these nasty groups, how information flows from member to member. Anyone who was going to be sharing Patriot Party content was going to be facing more scrutiny. They made it harder for the organizers to spread this stuff. They restricted the visibility of groups that were connected to the movement, and they limited the ability of people to sort of invite mass numbers of new users into their fold. So just kind of throwing up obstacles at every turn to this thing's growth. So it sounds like what Facebook is doing with the Patriot Party is rather than slow down the entire platform and add friction so it's harder for anything to go viral, they're just going to try to squash specific movements that they think are harmful. Yeah, this is like, you know, you can either have speed limits or you can like blow out the tires of anything that is, you know, going 150 miles an hour down the freeway. Like that's like kind of the choice that they've got. 
So what was the result of this blow-out-the-tires strategy when it comes to the Patriot Party? Was it successful in slowing them down? Per the documents, they said that they had managed to nip it in the bud. They shut it down. A Patriot Party official said the group tried to take down posts on its page that violated Facebook's rules, and that the Patriot Party had been growing, but that Facebook, quote, pulled the rug out from under us. He said the Patriot Party is now dormant. A spokesman for Facebook said that to combat dangerous viral social movements, the company, quote, had to invent new technologies and balance difficult trade-offs that society has struggled with for a long time and without needed guidance from lawmakers and regulators. But the Patriot Party wasn't just a one-off. A few months later, Facebook used the same tools on another group in Germany called Kordankin. Kordankin is an online conspiracy movement In an internal document, Facebook describes Kordankin as a mixture of QAnon, anti-Semitism, and New Age wellness. They definitely didn't like vaccines and lockdowns. They didn't trust the state, and they had a habit of, like, having rallies that occasionally got violent, per the German government. Jeff says that Facebook used Kordankin as an experiment to try and perfect the tools it originally used against the Patriot Party. I think the interesting thing with Kordankin is that it shows how methodical the company was getting in terms of its approach. They really wanted to know, know how to shut down movements and have the tools ready to do it. So in this one document about Facebook's plans for Kordankin, they make clear the goal isn't to knock the group out as quickly as possible, like it was with the Patriot Party. It's to figure out if they can very quickly study, map, and then systematically disable the group. It's not to kill it all at once. It's just simply to sort of test their tools to do that. The tools Facebook tested were things like mapping out the group's key members and making it harder for them to post, reshare, and invite people to groups. Kordankin content was also demoted in news feeds, and users weren't able to get notifications about its posts. Facebook users weren't aware this stuff was happening. They just stopped seeing Kordankin content. If you make it hard to invite people to that group, you stop showing content from that group in the people who are members of that group's news feeds. You basically make people visit the actual group as if it were a static web page or something or a bulletin board circa, you know, 1995. If you do that, it will die. You know, the thing will run out of momentum and just disband. Kordankin didn't respond to requests for comment. In one document, Facebook employees said they were pleased with how well the strategy worked and that they planned to keep doing it. This is the go-to. This is what they're going to do in the future. After the break, what Facebook's new strategy means for its long-held stance as a neutral platform. If only life had a remote control, you could pause or rewind. Well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome, but prediabetes does. Take the one-minute risk test today at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners. Back in October 2019, Mark Zuckerberg took a staunch stance on free speech and social media in front of a live audience at Georgetown University. Hey, everyone. 
It's, it's really great to be here at Georgetown with all of you today. Mark Zuckerberg gave a speech saying neutrality was sacrosanct. And not just neutrality, but also allowing people to say things no matter how crazy and how offensive, so long as they didn't violate Facebook's rules, right? Now, I know many people disagree with this, but in general, I don't think it's right for a private company to censor politicians or the news in a democracy. This was supposed to be pretty much kind of the ideals for free speech on the open internet with just the lightest touch of, you know, you can't violate our rules and do things that are obviously going to result in harm. But targeting specific groups like the Patriot Party seems to run counter to this light touch ideal. It's pretty hard to think of this work as being compatible with full neutrality, right? Because Facebook is going to have to determine at some point whether a movement should live or die, or whether it should grow or stagnate, I suppose. Part of the reason Facebook made this choice, to target specific groups rather than slow down the entire platform, is because there's something else the company believes, that virality is a force for good. This is a company that really was built optimistically. They, you know, sort of viewed their product as connecting people. They don't want to slow people down. Friction is a dirty word. Company executives have pointed to the positive movements that have benefited from Facebook's speed. They, you know, want to talk about all the wonderful things that can come out of people just sort of building things organically overnight. And it's true that the system does allow for that. Mark Zuckerberg, you know, really sort of praised a lot of past viral hits, uh, Ice Bucket Challenge. Hey, everyone. Yesterday, Governor Chris Christie challenged me to the ALS Ice Bucket Challenge. The Ice Bucket Challenge, you may remember, was a viral social media campaign that raised more than $100 million for research on the disease ALS. Zuckerberg himself participated. All right, here we go. That was really cold. In some ways, like, it was the epitome of good virality. This is something that Mark continued to talk about, like, would still talk about, like, five, six years later, about how awesome this was. So if they turned down virality broadly, it would tone down the spread of good things, like the Ice Bucket Challenge. Uh, Yeah, and that's an argument that I think was taken very, very seriously inside Facebook. I mean, this is a company that was, like, built to promote these things, right? They loved that. Virality also has big benefits for Facebook's business. In one internal post Jeff reviewed, the head of Facebook's ad business wrote that if they limited virality broadly, it could hurt the company. He noted a very practical reason why Facebook might not be into virality restriction as an approach, which is, quote, if we remove a small percentage of reshares from people's inventory, they decide to come back to Facebook less. So rather than like kind of creating an overall calm environment, They are basically looking at these very targeted interventions. What's the problem with this more targeted approach that Facebook seems to be taking? It's not a problem at all if you don't mind Facebook quietly determining which social movements are bad. (laughs) Um, uh, Yeah, I mean, like, I guess guess that, that actually seriously is my answer, is that this is completely unproblematic if you want the benefits of virality the fun stuff, the inspiring stuff, and aren't willing to have like regular viral social movement meltdowns passing into the real world as a result of a really fast platform. 
How does Facebook decide which groups to go after and where does it draw the line? So I was able to speak to a couple of senior Facebook security executives about this. And they emphasized that there are three things that Facebook looks at. The first one is whether the group of people, the organizers of it are sort of like clear bad actors, usually with a history. Two is whether the conversations are just regularly violating Facebook's rules. And three is some level of nexus to real world violence or, you know, problems. So, I mean, they, these are conscientious people and they seem like they are really trying to be very careful and not just run around squelching things that they disagree with. But that said, it's pretty easy to see a slippery slope here. And I mean, I think there's some obviously really interesting implications for a platform that prides itself on being neutral. What Mark Zuckerberg has said Facebook needs to say is that, you know, the best ideas are going to rise to the top and we shouldn't try to shut people down just because their ideas seem dangerous to us. And that, I think, is still going to be the platform's public position, but there's going to be a little asterisk. And that asterisk says, unless you start getting momentum and you're really scary. Do you think that Facebook's actions against the Patriot Party and Cordankin signal a real shift in the company's content moderation strategy, or is it just sort of like a, a movement around the edges? Yeah, I think this is a major thing. First of all, it's something where the traditional boundaries of, you know, we can't do that because this content doesn't specifically violate our rules, they've just thrown that out completely, right? Facebook no longer needs to have an immediate justification necessarily in the same way that it used to for imminent harm. This is kind of much less than imminent harm, right? Is that they see something bad happening, they know there are bad people associated with it, and they're going to make the determination that it is bad. I do think the work is still in progress, so how far it goes isn't 100% clear. Facebook acknowledges it's still figuring this stuff out, but I think if you're going to sort of cross the divide from a world in which Facebook kind of just enforces its rules as they stand and whenever they can see a violation, to one in which Facebook is actively studying um, how information spreads and figuring out how to control it, that is a very different world and one that I think just even the early steps in that direction are a very big deal. Last month, Facebook went public with its new enforcement strategy. In a blog post, Facebook's head of security policy described the company's efforts against Cordankin and wrote that the company will, quote, continue to refine and strengthen this work against abuse on our platform. series is part of The Journal Podcast, a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. Additional reporting in this episode by Justin Sheck. Your hosts are Kate Leinbaugh and me, Ryan Knudsen. This episode was produced by Martin Kessler and Enrique Perez de la Rosa. The series was produced by Pia Gadkari, Max Green, and Martin Kessler, with production help from Willa Rubin, Kayla Stokes, and Annie Minoff. This episode was edited by Catherine Brewer and Annie Rose Strasser. 
Special thanks to Colin Campbell, Gerard Cole, Anthony Galloway, Lydia Polgreen, Rob Rossi, Brad Reagan, and Matthew Rose. Our engineers are Griffin Tanner and Nathan Singapak. Our theme music is by So Wiley and remixed by Peter Leonard. Additional music in this episode from Blue Dot Sessions. Fact-checking by Nicole Pasolka and Amelia Schonbeck. Thanks also to the rest of the journal team. Brendan Klinkenberg, Laura Morris, Afif Masuli, Ricky Novetsky, and Sarah Platt. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.